Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Oh, there's just so much going on in the world today. How do you filter through the news? How do you make sense of it? What are you listening to? Um, how do you choose what's in your news feed? Um, news feed is interesting language, right? Uh, news feed, that's what we're eating. That's what's coming into us. That's what we're consuming as consumers. But sometimes, you know, our news feed is actually feeding on us. It's consuming us. And so I'm going to encourage you this morning to not be consumed don't be consumed by your news feed. Right? So what does it look like to get into the Word of God and allow the Word of God to get into us before we get out there into the world that God so loves? What does it look like for us to be people who eat the Word, who taste and see that the Lord is good? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness today? Because that hungering and thirsting for righteousness, um, it's one of the Beatitudes, right? Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus says, they will be filled. Well, with what are you filling up? What are you filling up on? You have lots of choices when you uh, drive into the gas station, right? Uh, diesel or gasoline. And, and of gasoline, you've got, you know, like regular unleaded. I don't think we have regular gas in many places anymore. But if you still have a car that um, runs on leaded fuel, it's probably harder for you to find. In fact, I don't know. Maybe you have to add an Maybe you have to add it back in. But anyway, we have unleaded, and then we have like premium unleaded, and then we have like super premium deluxe unleaded. You can still you get go to places where it's it doesn't have other stuff in it. Like there are places you can go, and it'll say 100% pure gas, and you're like, huh, wonder what I'm getting at those other places. So in the same way that when you drive into the gas station, you have lots of options of what you might put in the tank. Some of those um, on, on some of those, your vehicle's going to run better than others. And let me just say this, if you put diesel in a gas engine, it's not going to run. And if you put gas in a diesel engine, it's not going to run. And so what you are putting into your system matters. And the higher quality that you put in, um, you know, the better you're going to function. And so God has given us the, the pure milk of his word. And we need to be feasting on it. And then we need to be growing in our ability to digest um, bigger and bigger pieces and parts of it, and then bring that worldview to bear on everything else. So it's not news first, all right? It is really good, healthy, a diet of scripture first. It's filling yourself up with the things of God, godly music, um, godly conversation, the word of God itself, so if you haven't already been into the word of God, you got no business getting into the news of the day. It's just that simple. It's absolutely that simple. And so where in the word um, are you today? I would encourage you to circle back around. If you're not already signed up for it, you can sign up for the verse of the day at myfaithradio.com. 
this would have already been in your inbox this morning. You would have started your day with 1 John 4, 9 and 10. God has shown you how much he loves you. God showed you how much he loves you by sending his one and only son into the world so that you might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. That's the true truth. That's the food that really feeds. That's the bread of life. That's the bread of heaven. So I want you to encourage you today to be in the word of God, to feast upon it. Yes, to taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, and, and to make, you know, regular habit of, um, of eating his word, digesting it, allowing it to strengthen your body in order that you will actually be prepared um, to encounter the news of the day. Then when I say news of the day, I just mean everything, (laughs) everything that's happening in the world, that you're going to be a person of good news in the midst of all the other news. So when you think about your roots, I want you to think about your boots. All right. So think back um, over the course of your family history. What kind of boots did your people wear? Because pretty much historically, like there are there are boots in our past. Um, maybe you you in your heritage, like in the background of your family tree, there are farmers and they wore a particular kind of boot. Maybe there are military people in the military and they wore a particular kind of boot. Maybe you got cowboys in your in you know in your history and they wore a particular kind of boot. So I want you to think about um, your boots. When you think about your roots, because that is a headline related to Beyonce. You say, what? Beyonce? Yep. She got boots in her past and she is uh, walking in those boots today. She became the first black woman to top the country music chart. Beyonce, who you might not think of as a country music phenom, uh, has a new single called Texas Hold'em. It is the lead single off her upcoming album, um, she announced it during the Super Bowl, uh, during a commercial. And um, she uh, she's showing off her Texas roots um, by, you know, taking, taking a chance and singing a country song. So there you go. What would your crossover genre be? If you sang songs like the generations of the past in your family. So if you think about your family in the past, like, again, your roots and the boots they wore. What would your crossover genre of music be? What songs did your people sing? Um, I can only go as far back as my grandparents to answer this question because I don't know what my great-grandparents would have been singing. Um, But definitely my grandmother hummed hymns almost all the time. I mean, she sang hymns as well, but she hummed hymns continuously. And so... That's not even a genre of music that Billboard is tracking these days would be, you know, hymns. But um, I'm wondering if if you know what kind of boots your people wore in the past, what that says about your roots and what kind of crossover genre of music you'd be singing if you were singing along with the generations of your family past. We're going to ask Adam Holtz that question. He joins us next with all things media and entertainment. That's next here on Mornings with Carmen.
designed to shield the foot and sometimes the leg. This is going to be an exercise in boots. Adam Holtz is joining us from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. I don't know, man. Do you have your boots on? Oh, I don't have any boots on this morning. I don't either. Just just loafers, which I'm sure says something about me, right? (laughs) First boots that we know of come from 2100 B.C., featured in in a tomb. Um, Yeah, detailed boots. Very, very detailed boots. Yes. And also boots, boots um, unearthed in Siberia from something like a thousand years B.C. Those obviously were made of leather and fur. I think most boots were probably made of leather for a very, very long period of time. If you looked back over your family's history, you know, yes. you know, you got any idea what kind of boots people wore? Uh, the normal kind. I mean, work, work I come boots, from two, hi- yeah, hiking work boots. boots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I come from two farming families. And actually, I think most of my uncles probably wore cowboy boots, not as a mm-hmm. fashion accessory, but just because that was what offered the leg protection when you, you know, if you've ever walked yeah. through a foot of, of pig or cow slop, yeah. Um, you don't want that rolling over into your ankles, right? So, yeah, I'm yeah. going. I'm going with the standard Roper. That's the uh, yeah. that's the boot that I'm acknowledging would be the Roper. Um, Paul Perot is on, and he has a boot commentary this morning. Well, I just know oh, that great. my dad and sometimes I would use Red Wing boots. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, oh, mm-hmm. Red Wing. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. So hiking boots, um, hiking boots, and work boots are big at my house now. We have uh, we have quite the array. Jim had a lot of different kinds of boots when he, um, you know, worked in the tree business and now has like construction related boots. And he also has hiking boots and hunting boots. And depending on the season, you know, the the height of the hunting boot and what it's made of and how thick it is. I mean, on and on and on. So lots of boots. And yeah, so some boots are fancy and some are not. We are going to talk about other things, but I thought that the Beyonce conversation about crossing over into country music and, you know, expressing her Texas roots Gave me yes. an opportunity to talk about boots, and you know me. Yeah. It's Fashion yeah. Friday. It's Fashion Friday. I, it's, it's a great <laughs> conversation. <laughs> God-haunted conversations in the media. Um, how do yes. we enter well into, um, into, into these conversations where there is a God thread to pull, but not everybody's pulling it well? Yeah, you know, that's a great conversation. You know, I think if we sometimes lament you know, the secular nature of our culture or the rejection of the Judeo-Christian history that our our country is built on historically. But boy, you don't have to look very far, Carmen, to see there are celebrities, there are athletes, there are people in the news having various iterations of God conversation all over the place, right? And you know, one that happened recently was between Aaron Rodgers and Joe Rogan on Joe Rogan's very popular podcast. And it mm. it delved in as you might have, you know, expected with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron's sort of like poster child for syncretism, right? I think the guy believes everything and he kind of just weaves it all together, whether we're talking aliens or spaceships or conspiracy theories or, you know, a little bit of the Old Testament, a little bit of this. They were talking about the book of Ezekiel and whether or not that book reflects, uh, you know, the language there are, were they really talking about UFOs? You know, have aliens always been with us? And what I think that we need to get at here uh, 
is that we have a hunger for transcendent meaning, and we also have a hunger for mystery. And I think this explains the the persistent impulse that we see in culture for like cryptozoology, which is a fancy word to talk about Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster. Like modernism is reductionist. You know, we have explanations for everything. We eliminate mystery, but we are created for an experience with a transcendent God. And actually there's a part of us that doesn't want to know all of the answers, Google and AI notwithstanding. And so when we see a conversation like the one that Aaron Rodgers had with Joe Rogan, if we're talking with somebody and they bring it up, I think it's a great entree to say, hey, what do you think about that? Just, you know, a really sort of wide open, you know, kick open the door to a conversation where we're not necessarily trying to move toward a preordained outcome, but we're allowing people to talk. And and maybe if the spirit moves, there is a way for us to point that conversation toward Christ. Um, but there, it's all over the place. And I was even just thinking this morning, you know, Rob Schneider has become a Christian recently, Black China, Kat Von D. We have a lot of celebrities who I never would have thought would be talking about Jesus who seem to be making that journey toward him. So there's opportunity all over the place. We just have to pay attention. I think we, um, sometimes our first thought is a critical one. Is a, sure. is a is one of like suspicion, oh, yeah. and totally. instead maybe it ought to be about like curiosity and joy. Like, what if we yep. approached conversations with curiosity and joy? Like, wow, this person is talking about Jesus. What are they saying right. about him? Does that resonate right. with what I understand to be you know true? Um, is there a way I could walk with them and they could? get to know Jesus better because I know I've been walking with him a little bit longer than they have. Maybe, um, you know, so that's like curiosity and joy versus like suspicion. And we're trying to keep people out. Like I'm not trying to keep people, anybody out. I don't want to keep anybody out. I want everybody to be in. Right. And you know, the other thing years and years ago, um, I heard a, a comparison of two different ways of thinking about, um, the faith. One of them is centered set theology and the other is bounded set theology. And centered set theology is we're focusing on Jesus and the stuff at the periphery. We're not going to go to the mat to define all of that. Now, bounded set theology is I have systematic answers for every single thing out there. You know, whether we're talking end times, whether we're talking creation, whether we're talking women in ministry, you know, you pick your, your sort of controversial issue um, and I think I have come from definitely a place of bounded set theology where I have to have answers for everything. And if somebody doesn't agree with me, they're automatically suspicious. I think migrating toward that centered set theology of I want to focus on Jesus. And it doesn't mean that those other questions aren't important and and that there are you know answers worth talking about. But I'm not going to categorize somebody in us and them sort of language if the particulars of those second level theological questions don't necessarily line up with, with where I'm at. And frankly, at 53, I have far, far fewer answers to a lot of those questions than I had when I was 23. Right. You know, Jesus mm-hmm. is the way, the truth, the life. And there are a lot of other things. I'm like, well, I'm not a hundred percent sure about that. 
Um, I'm going to give you a homework assignment um, before we go to a break. Uh, I know you're not going to be prepared to answer this question now, but <laughs> listener listener Marie texted in um, earlier in the week, hey, when you've got Adam on on Friday from Focus on the Family's Plugged In, I'd be interested in um, him speaking to the topic of pastors showing secular movie clips as a part of oh, I can talk. I can talk about oh. that. Okay, well then, Marie, Marie, we're going to deal with your question up next, and then we are going to do a quick review of Ordinary Angels. All of that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is your birthday song. It isn't very long. Hey, Faith Radio is celebrating 75 years of bringing faith to life. That's right. We are 75 this year. So to celebrate, we are giving away 75 Faith Radio birthday boxes packed with all kinds of fun things to help you grow in your walk of faith and, yes, celebrate with us. So we're going to be celebrating the birth and growth and future of Faith Radio all year long, and you are an integral part of the Faith Radio family, and so we want to send you a gift. How fun is that? This is our birthday song. It isn't very long. So to enter to win a Faith Radio birthday box today, come to MyFaithRadio.com. Talking with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. All right, we're going to address Marie's question. Uh, Marie wants to know, like, you know, pastors are using secular movie clips in their sermons. Is that a detraction from the word? Yeah, you know, that is a great question. And I think that we have to, and and I don't think there's a right or wrong answer here. So I'm going to hedge my bets, you know, from the get-go. I think it depends on the movie clip, and I think it depends upon the way that they do it. A movie is a story. Every story has a worldview. And a lot of the popular stories of our day are great examples of a particular way of thinking about life. And so I think that you could show a movie clip that really is, maybe it's a popular movie. Maybe it is one that is in the news. Um, you could show a clip that sets up something that you want to talk about. And actually the parallel version is singing secular songs. I went to a church for years that we either had a movie clip or a band that actually performed a popular secular song. And all of that was always a setup for, um, for the conversation. I actually had a chance to preach once at that church and the title of my sermon was Comfortably Numb. And we played the Pink Floyd song, Comfortably Numb. Now, a few caveats. Um, I think we have to be careful that in our you know, attempt to be relevant and to connect, that we're not glorifying something in the world that is ultimately problematic. And, and again, that's a judgment call. Um, I think you have to know your audience because a lot of things that we might show you know, I'm the plugged in guy. It may not be appropriate for kids ages, you know, two to 92, right? There may Mm -hmm. be people that would say, I am not comfortable with that. I also think that when you are in a pastoral role, when you show something from the front, even if you disclaim it, there is an inherent sense that you're endorsing it, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. The pastor watched this movie. It should be okay for me to watch. And even if you say, okay, this is one scene, but this movie has lots of problems, there may be people who don't hear that message. And so I think that we have to approach things with a lot of wisdom, but but we see Paul in Acts on Mars Hill appropriating cultural sayings of the day 
and cultural understandings and then responding to them. So I don't think there's anything inherently out of bounds with that. I think you have to know your audience. Um, I think it can be done well. I think it can also be done in a way that smacks of a little bit of desperation of, yeah, I'm trying so hard to be relevant that I have, I've, you know, dropped the ball on some basic discernment things. Yeah. And, and the sermon needs to drive those choices, not well, the other yeah, way around. Exactly, I saw exactly. a really good, you know, hey, I saw a really good movie, and so I want to run this clip, and then I'm finding some scripture passage that I think is somehow right. tangentially. Like, that's the real danger that I see, um, exactly. is that it becomes yeah. it becomes a methodology as opposed yep. to, hey, every once in a while, there is some very brief, really good scene that helps us capture this moment in, you know, in, in that I can express I could let this video express the point I'm trying to make about this passage of scripture right. at a particular point in the sermon better than yep. I could just tell it to you. And so we're going to watch it together. Um, that yep. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, all right. So this, uh, you may not know, is Sticky Bun Day. Oh, well, that yeah. sounds like a so, really great day. I know. Right. So do you have a favorite kind of sticky bun? All of them. Mm-hmm, all of them. So loafers and sticky buns. So far, this is what we know about Adam Holtz. Not really a boot guy, more about loafers and any kind of sticky bun will do. Any kind um, of sticky bun. <laughs> well, I got me thinking because, you know, like media and entertainment is super sticky and it sticks with us. And so we yep. need to guard ourselves. Um, I'd rather that the word of God, you know, be sticky today in people's minds. But um, yeah, often the entertainment of the day is more sticky. So talk with us yep. about Ordinary Angels. Yeah, Ordinary Angels is a new movie. It's a faith-based movie. It's in theaters this weekend. It stars Hilary Swank, who, of course, is a two-time Oscar winner. She plays a woman named Sharon, and Sharon is, oh, she's just an alcoholic. She sort of lurches toward becoming a recovering alcoholic, but she's not there when things start. Her life's kind of a mess. She meets a guy named Ed Schmidt. And Ed has lost his wife to liver cancer. And now Ed's five-year-old daughter, Michelle, is also dying of liver cancer. But there is a shred, a, a sliver of hope that if they can find her a liver donor, uh, or, you know, obviously mm-hmm. you don't get the list. Somebody who's done using their liver, let's put it that mm-hmm. way, that maybe they can save her life. And mm-hmm. so Hillary Swank's character, Sharon, shifts into this sort of benevolent Tasmanian devil mode. Uh, Just she sweeps in, she organizes their finances. She helps look for a donor. She helps raise money because it's obviously a very expensive procedure. Uh, In some ways, it reminds me just a teeny tiny bit of Aaron Brockovich, if you ever saw that Mm. movie, although that's an R-rated movie with a ton of content. This is a PG movie. Really, the only content here is the, you know, kind of sideways allusions to Sharon's alcoholism. Um, this is a terrific movie. It's really well mm. done. Uh, it's been released, I believe, by Lionsgate. Um, and it has a lot to offer. And I think it just continues to show that faith-oriented movies, and I would say that the faith orientation here is woven very naturally into the story. This is not an altar call kind of Christian movie. But we see that faith plays an important role in people's lives. Um, Terrific movie. I I wish we had one of these every week. And I would also say, for those of us who lament not having these kinds of choices, go see this movie this weekend. Because when we vote with our dollars, it says to Hollywood, 
more of this, please. And you know me, I almost never say that. And obviously check out our full <laughs> review. But um, this is a movie worth voting with your dollars for. Ordinary Angels. Ordinary Angels. Yep. Um, okay. Uh, thanks to Mary, who says it's important to note it is also National Dog Biscuit Day and Banana Ooh. Bread Day. So something for, uh, something for everybody. Sticky buns, <laughs> banana bread, and dog biscuits. It's also Farm Report Friday, so um, I, I promise I will get that in before the end of our conversation together today. Adam, as always, thank you so much. You bet, Carmen. Thank you. Put your loafers on and have a sticky bun. Yeah, it's all I good. Will. I will. That's Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. I encourage you to check out the full review for Ordinary Angels at PluggedIn.com. That's also where you'll you know, see all their other great content. There are some YouTube reviews up on there that um, I would commend to you. We didn't get today to the review of um, Mike Winger's YouTube um, channel, but that is up there for you to check out as well. Um, all right. My maternal grandfather, Holland Benefiel, um, he was a mountain of a man. Like he was over six feet tall. He was bald my whole life, um, or the whole part of his life that was also, you know, my life, overlapped with my life. And one of the distinguishing features of my grandfather, um, Benefiel, was he had this, like, blue blue dot on his head. And I don't know if, if that was a mole. Like, I never asked. Like, right, you don't ask. Like, that is a strangest blue dot, like, on the top of his head. Anyway, um, because he was so tall... Uh, he had to make custom bed rails to extend the length of the bed that he and my grandmother slept in. But they never had a mattress that actually filled that whole space. So they had a mattress, you know, it was a regular mattress. And then my grandmother, like, made this additional 18-inch thing that was at the foot of the bed. Um, um, yeah, so Holland Benefiel, he was a twin when he was born. Um, but he didn't grow up with his brother, Harold. They sent him to live with another family because um, my grandpa's family couldn't afford that extra child. Uh, he left school after fifth grade to work uh, on the farm. And, um, and in other ways, he spent much of his life as a tenant farmer. So he didn't have much of an education at all. It's remarkable to me when I consider the generation's of his grandchildren and now his great-grandchildren. Um, we live in a world that my grandfather would largely not recognize. Um, for the part of, of his life that I knew him, uh, he drove a Caterpillar, he drove a bulldozer, and he loved it. He loved running um, that big machine, that big earth-moving machine. Um, and this won't surprise you, but he didn't read very much. Like, I, I don't remember my grandfather ever reading a book to me or just sitting and reading for pleasure. But there was one book, one paperback book that he obviously cherished. And so after he died, you know, I suppose like all of his grandkids, I got a box of things. And when I was recently reorganizing some things, I came across that box. And in that box is a 1967 autobiography of R.G. Letourneau. And it's called Mover of Men and of Mountains. And discovering that book among the very few things that my grandfather cherished has been a gift to me. His name is in the front cover in his own handwriting. And it's the only thing that I have written by my granddad. And he underlined passages and he dog-eared pages. And you can tell there were certain places that he turned to frequently because they're, 
you know, even in a paperback book, you can tell the pages that have been read more often than others. It had helped me understand my grandfather, his love of the bulldozer (laughs) in the final 20 years of his working life. And it helped me understand the mountain of the man who loved to move dirt around. It also helped me appreciate that my grandfather might have been more of a man of faith than I ever knew. So I tell you all of that because we're going to have a conversation with John Barrett next. He's a political scientist and he teaches at Letourneau University, which is the university, um, Evangelical Christian University in Longview, Texas, that was founded by R.G. Letourneau and his wife, Evelyn. Um, So I'm delighted to share next with John Barrett. We're going to talk about the sermons that you and I really need to hear this year. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. John Barrett is joining us. He's an associate professor of political science and the chair of the Department of Humanities and Social Sciences at Letourneau University in Longview, Texas. John, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, we're. Um, I'm excited to talk with you today. Maybe um, let's just start out with this. Like, Describe Longview, Texas for people who've never been to that part of the country um, and something about Letourneau. Uh, well, so Longview is a uh, kind of a smallish city, about 100,000 in East Texas. Uh, oil was the big industry back in the 30s. Uh, Letourneau University, you know, it warms my heart to hear you talk about mom and pop Letourneau that way. Mm. <laughs> because it, we have all these neat stories that kind of bubble up because, you know, RG traveled so much all over the country. And so there's so many little pockets of people that know who he is and appreciate his life and his work. And so it's it's fun to hear your personal experience with that. And I, I love teaching at Letourneau. It's just a, a fabulous institution uh, where we've got a community of builders, as we like to say, people that like to create things. And so that's that's great to be a part of. Yeah, it's um it's very exciting. Um I just I love its history and uh, and I love what's happening there now. We are um, here in the United States of America in another election cycle. It it feels like we never quite get out of the last one before we enter the next one. Um, Here's a paragraph from a recent piece that you wrote on the sermons that we really do need um, this year. For the average citizen, this is going to be an emotional equivalent of a marathon, verbally abusive, um, an argument that leaves you enraged, terrified, and exhausted, um, drives people, you know, to end friendships and marriages and even their lives. The election outcome, whatever it is, is going to bring a wave of unrealistic hope for one side and a wave of unmitigated terror for the other. So this is is not good. It's not not healthy what we're doing um, as a country. And, you know, and and four years from now, we'll be doing it all over again. Um, Three types of sermons that pastors tend to preach or the approaches that they take. So let's talk about the three types of sermon prep that we're likely to hear? And then let, let's talk about the ones we really need to be hearing. Yeah, you know, my experience has been that churches generally don't like to talk about politics. Uh, you know, you have some exceptions. You have some political churches where that's kind of all they talk about. But in general, my experience has been is that churches don't like to talk about it. And the few exceptions to that, you know, 
or, or when you have a presidential election cycle. And so as you get closer and closer to November, uh, you'll have a, a smattering of sermons that are, are usually kind of about abortion and pro-life. And the, the pastor will kind of do a little presentation and then leave it at that. Every now and then you'll have somebody that just kind of goes all in and makes a, a biblical argument, you know, for, for one candidate or the other or something like that. But then that's kind of all you get. You know, that, that's all you get for another four years. And I, I think that's unfortunate because I, I think politics affects our lives much more deeply and, you know, in a daily fashion. And God's people need some, some guidance and encouragement on how to, how to deal with all that. So that's really good. When I, um, when I read your article, I thought, all right, these, I know these three types of sermon prep. And so I will describe them this way. There's the ignore it completely crowd. And I call that the passive approach. There's the preach about the issues, but don't really say what you're saying. And I call that the passive aggressive approach. And then there's the all in total aggressive approach. So, yeah, those are um, those are the ways that we hear um, political themes approached in, inside of our churches. Those are not the sermons that we need. Christians really are asking big, deep, and wide questions. Um, and so you approach it from that direction. So I'd like for you to walk around a little bit in um, what you've outlined as the sermons we do need to hear in 2024. How do we fear not during such fearful times? Yeah, you know, the the analogy that I, I like to make, and it's kind of harsh, but I think it's unfortunately true, you know, the, the Republican and Democratic parties in a lot of ways are kind of in a dysfunctional marriage. And there's a lot of back and forth. There's a lot of name calling. There's a lot of intensity. And we as citizens in some ways are kind of like the children in this marriage, right? We, we hear all of this going on and all of these threats and all of this anger and emotion. And if the only guidance we're getting at church is, well, mom's right or dad's right, or, you know, this is, this is the issue that you really should be focused on. I think, unfortunately, it kind of neglects just the emotional toll that it takes on us as, as citizens to be witnessing this, this conflict between these two political forces. And so, you know, what I would suggest to pastors and, and others, you know, Sunday school teachers and whatnot, is we need to have a more robust conversation about what do you what do you do with all this? You know, what do you what do you do with the fact that you've got two sides here and all the yelling and all the, you know, the world is gonna come to an end if you vote for this person or whatever, or everything's gonna be wonderful if you vote for that person. You know, how do you begin to process all of that fear? And I really believe where the rubber hits the road is almost kind of at the at the micro level. You know, how do we as individuals we're reading something, we're watching the news or whatever, and 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 we get scared and 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 for good reason, right? I mean, there are scary things that go on in the fallen world we live in, but I think it's helpful if pastors and others can help us kind of emotionally process that in a 
in a biblical way so that we can trust God even when there are these frightening things going on, that, that we can kind of wrestle with this question of, well, how do I, how do I love someone that is a political opponent? You know, how do I, how do I love someone that may see me as, as an enemy, that may see me as a, as a threat because of my views? And I think that's crucial in order to really try to minister and encourage and evangelize the, the world around us because this is unfortunately just the, the context that we find ourselves in. We're talking with John Barrett. He uh, is a professor at Letourneau University, and I am um, looking with him at a piece that um, that really does outline for us, gets us thinking about the sermons we really do need to hear this year in 2024 in the midst of um, not just an election cycle, but a, a world where things are, you know, pretty haywire. Um, talk with us a little bit, John, about um, a sermon that might cover how do we love those we fear, and maybe a complimentary sermon, how do we love those who fear or hate us? Yeah, you know, I uh, <laughs> I, I talk to my students a lot about these questions and these issues, and I'll, I'll kind of post to them, you know, all right, what do you, how do you, how do you deal with someone that has radically different political views than your own, right? You know, if you're if you're at church and there's someone in the pew next to you, and their views are totally contrary to you, you know, how do you how do you deal with that? Do you just simply reject them as a Christian altogether? Say, well, they they must not be a real Christian because they have different political views. Or do you just simply kind of ignore that? Do you try to in, engage with that? And I, I think what's helpful is, you know, sometimes I like to point to the fact that Jesus, when he had the disciples, it's interesting that you get Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. Mm-hmm. And these two figures would have been polar opposites on the central political issue of Jesus' day, right? How do you deal, how do you respond to the Roman occupation? Matthew would have been a collaborator. Simon would have been, you know, considered a terrorist or something, right? You know, someone that was committed to using any violence necessary. So here you've got someone on polar opposite ends and Jesus brings them together. And I, I think that's a fascinating event to think about of, okay, how can Jesus bring us together with people where we do have these vast political differences? And I sometimes wonder if when Jesus sent the disciples out two by two, he sent Simon and Matthew out (laughs) together in the conversations they might have had as they're preaching the gospel and casting out demons and whatnot because of these different points of view that they came from. But I think these are the questions that really in this season as we're ramping up to the election that pastors and Sunday school teachers and whatnot can can speak to so that we can try to get some some theological grounding on how do we how do we love how do we encourage how do we forgive you know if, if someone is projecting onto me all of these things that just aren't true you know how do how do I forgive and still try to to love and minister and that's that's challenging it's very very challenging and even within a family, I, I talk to a lot of students and they'll say, you know, I have this issue at home. You know, I have this view and dad has this other view and I just don't like to talk about it because dad gets upset and it gets really nasty. You know, if we can't have these conversations around the kitchen table, 
may explain why we can't have these conversations nationally, you know, between the two parties. Looking forward to um, unpacking a little bit further here with John Barrett, um, a conversation about what we do as Christians when another Christian says, well, you can't really be a Christian and vote that way, or if you vote that way, you can't possibly be a Christian. You've heard it from both sides of the political aisle, so what if other Christians denounce our political views as sinful or heretical? And what do we do when we believe that other people who profess to be Christians have political views that we see as sinful or heretical? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Receive a daily email featuring a scripture graphic. Sign up for the verse of the day email at myfaithradio.com. We're talking with Dr. John Barrett. If you could make a list of sermons that you think it would be really, really helpful for Christians in America to hear this year, what are the passages of Scripture that you think it would be helpful for pastors to be preaching through? Are there books of the Bible you think that would be you know, particularly helpful um, in terms of the conversations that we're trying, that we have to have, that are necessary for us to be having as Christians in the culture today? Um, one of the sermons or a couple of sermons that, you know, John is proposing is, you know, what if other Christians denounce my political views as sinful or heretical? And then the flip side of that, what if I believe that another person who confesses to be a Christian actually holds political views that I see as sinful or heretical? How do we have those kinds of conversations? So, John, what do you say? What Unpack those ideas for us a little bit. Yeah, I think there— you know, there's a lot of things that can divide us as Christians. And as, as we see in, you know, John 17, you know, right before Jesus is going to the Garden of Gethsemane and the Passion, you know, uh, he prays for the unity of believers. And so clearly this is something that is important to God. And, you know, Jesus even makes this comparison of the, the unity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is the model that Christians should have for Christian unity within the church. And I think it's important to remember these things. And, you know, we can acknowledge political differences between us and we can agree to disagree or, you know, even have robust debate. But I, I do think that it's important to hold on to this idea that we are still brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and, and maybe someone is sinning. You know, sometimes this happens, and, and Paul talks about this, right, of your brother may be sinning, and you go and you confront them, and, and they refuse to acknowledge it or whatever. You know, but I, I do think that we we have to, you know, give, give grace to one another. And I, I do think we also have to be very careful, because what history has shown over and over again is that the church sometimes or elements within the church will get very focused on a select number of issues. And this becomes the sole litmus test. And, and, and then in their mind, there's, there's no gray area here. There's no room for debate. And, you know, the, the ironic thing of course, is that those issues change over time. You know, if you went back a hundred years, the gold standard would have been one of the key issues for the church, right? You know, if you're in favor of the gold standard, how can you really be a Christian? Because, you know, the gold standard impoverishes poor people. And so you're not really a Christian if you're in favor of the gold standard, right? I mean, it sounds ridiculous today, but these are the kinds of discussions that the church had a hundred years ago. And I think it's important to remember that 
as we're dealing with issues today, I say, okay, you know, we, we have differences of opinion, differences of policy, but we need to hang on to that unity we have, if at all possible, and, and, and sometimes just kind of set these things aside. Um, you know, Tim Alberta talks about when his father died. Tim Alberta is a Christian journalist, and he, he writes in a lot of mainstream publications. He talks about when he went home to bury his father, all of these people he knew were angry at him because he had said some things that were critical of Trump. And, and just emotionally, how hard that was that as he's grieving, people want to have a political argument with him. And so I think we need to be careful that we don't let politics get in the way of us ministering and, and loving and encouraging one another and, and non-Christians as well, because I think history shows that oftentimes that's what happens. Um, should we engage in politics as Christians? And maybe the better question is, how should we engage in politics and political conversations as Christians? Well, I believe that Christians should engage in politics because I, I believe engaging in politics is a ministry. And I, I think this is the fundamental question a lot of people get wrong is we look at politics as, you know, we're we're going to set the world right. You know, we're going to engage in politics and set the world right. But theologically, that doesn't make any sense, right? You know, Jesus is the only one that can set the world right. So then there's the question of, okay, if we live in a sinful world and we don't really have the ability to eradicate sin, well, our, our role then, just like if we're engaging in issues of poverty or, you know, anything else is is to reflect God's love into the world. And there's a way mm -hmm. to do that in politics, just like there's a way to do that in business. There's a way to do that in journalism. There's a way to do that in media, you know, in all these different mm -hmm. fields. If you conduct yourself in a way that's God honoring, and you might not always win. I tell my students this, right? You know, right. is it better to lose the election if you campaign in a godly manner? And I, I think it is. Yeah. Um, but that takes faith that God is sovereign and that winning isn't all that matters. And I can be a uh, and I can be a Christian in in the midst of any kind of system. I just can. So, John, um, thank you so very much. You guys can connect with Dr. John Barrett at professorbarrett.com. Um, we, we will have him back. I got to quickly get in the Friday farm report before we run out of time today. I know you've been asking. All right, there's painting going on on the inside of the house. Jim's doing some woodworking and building me a new kitchen island. So that's what's happening in the wood shop. And then outside, we are preparing for spring. Spring is coming. So pruning fruit trees and ordering seeds and, oh, leveling out the uh, gravel drive. Because over the winter, I don't know, it got really like, uh, un, uneven, got a big hump in the middle. And so anyway, he leveled that out with the blade, you know, on the front of the bobcat. But then that, I, it brought up all these rocks. So now we need a load of millings. You know, it's always something on the farm, right? It's always something. Put your boots on, get out there into the world that God so loves. Do so in ways that honor Jesus today. It's sticky bun day. Also dog biscuit day, you know, celebrate one of those. Have a great day and God bless. Oh, and by the way, Paul Perot's going to host the show next week because I'm going to go skiing for a week with Jim and my sister um, in Colorado. So I won't be here with you, but you guys hang out together and bless each other. 
Have a great, uh, great weekend. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.